Hi, I'm Alan Sentier, the Heartful Badass Coach. Being badass is about being the real you, being strong, feisty, confident, knowing your own truth and walking it, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, with a heart full of joy and boundaries that really work. I learned how to be the real me through telling and writing stories, and now I'm a best-selling author as well as a badass psychotherapist and coach. I tell stories a lot in podcasts and blogs and in the coaching programs I do. Being authentic, living your own story, that's being the real badass you. And being real badass is being full of heart, caring. Because we've lived through all that shit, haven't we? So we know it in our bones and we really do truly feel compassion. So come on. Let's do some badassery. Let's change ourselves and watch the whole world change around us. Let's make our lives, our businesses and our hearts sing. How we often live other people's scripts. Now, we all do this and we may not all realise we're doing it. Um, My acres of sight training years ago showed me how I can tell when I'm doing it and how I can tell when other people are doing it and how I can help them stop doing it. And so, so did all the witchy training as a child and as a young person. Because one thing about being a witch, which may not always be the case in some of the new age versions of it, is you're not supposed to be living someone else's script. There are things that we do. There are how the universe works, insofar as we all know it. Lots of that's actually quantum, as I was talking to um, Sandy DeJez today. And we don't have to do it the same way as every other. There's a joke that goes around amongst us real witches, that you could put sort of 100 witches in a room and ask them all a question and you get 250 different answers. So, you know, that's how conformist we are. We are just not conformist. And there's another way that we do live other people's scripts, though, because somebody comes up with an idea. And we think, hey, that'd be fun. I'll have a go at that. So we're actually trying something that somebody else has done. And it wasn't our idea in the first place, but we decided it was a good one. Now, that's a form of living other people's scripts that is worthwhile. But there are so, so many that are not. The ones that we normally do live, and we can't help but live, are like how we were brought up, our parents. What was the social mores of your family? How was your family structured? Who was actually the boss, if you had a boss in your family? Was boss ship squared? Sorry, was boss ship shared? I don't know. How was it for you? But it's one of the things to think about. What was the social position of your family? I mean, where were you on the social hierarchy? Did your family even believe in social hierarchies, wherever they actually stood, you know, whether they were a coal miner or, you know, Lord Singamajig or something? 
And I've seen both in both. I've seen all sides of that in life. And what was your family structure? I mean, was it just mum, dad and the kids? Was it mum, dad, a grandparent, both grandparents, all four grandparents, all living in the same place? That used to happen around me quite a bit because there were big old farmhouses and the whole family lived in them. You didn't actually have to see each other all the time, but you were all there and there was all part of the structure. It was actually quite fun at times because, you know, you'd go and stay with your friend and there'd be a big family there. Mine was a very small family, but there would be a big family there. So you'd all get to play with grandmother for a bit. And that was always fun. Uh, grannies are usually pretty good. Grandpas can be quite good too, but grannies are really hot stuff. So how was your family structured? What were the moors in it? And what most of all, who said who did what? It's quite a big one that. But then it wasn't the only thing that we all have. We've all been to school. So what was your school structure like? What was your the hierarchy in schools. I mean, was the head teacher sort of like, you know, King George sat on the throne or something? Um, or was she a real martinet? Or was she sort of just leading the team? How did the other teachers react to her? Because as a child, you watch what other people do all the time. And you do what they do. Go into that in a minute. How was school structured with age? I mean, were the big girls somehow sort of in charge of the little girls or boys or both? Did you go to a single sex school, a single gender school? I did. Well, I did secondary school, not in junior school. Junior school was all of us mixed in together, which was fun. And how did that work? Did somehow, say, did the girls have? leadership sometimes over the boys or the boys sometimes have leadership over the girls all sorts of funny things going on there so again who told you what to do and who was the last person in the line to say you're going to do that Ellen did anybody actually do that for you I had that at school I didn't have it at home and in the family but I had it at school so I do know what it feels like. And then there's your friends. And we all like to have friends. But sometimes your friends can be really bossy. And, you know, certainly at school with me, there was one girl who was, she was leader of the pack. She really was. And everybody wanted to get in her gang. It wasn't sort of a knifey gang or anything like that. It wasn't an awfully nice gang because she would put you down if she didn't like you, if you did something to upset her or if you didn't suck up to her. That was quite important. And can you imagine me? <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't. And anyway, as a child, I had my ways, how I was brought up. And they didn't fit with all this hierarchical stuff. So. I wasn't part of her gang. And that could be quite painful at times. So how did I work around that? How did I 
do something that helped to satisfy me and stop the hurt that I might be feeling because she'd been excluded and she wouldn't speak to me or she called me names or something like that. This can happen all through life. And a couple of my clients recently have had real bust-ups with friends who they thought were really good friends. But something happened that broke that. And in both the cases of my recent clients, the friends turned on them. Uh, whatever the bust-up was, I'm not sure I'm awfully keen on people turning on you just because. It's another thing. Are you still friends with them? Are they cutting you? Do they absolutely trash you in front of your face or behind your back? And we don't like that. So there's a tendency to fit in with your parents, with the family, with the school culture, with the culture in my village where I grew up, which is sort of slightly odd because there was two sides of it. There was the witchy culture, and fortunately there were several of us, so there was always support there. And then there was the non-witchy culture, some of whom practically sort of like, you know, when we walked past, not many, but there were one or two. And then there was the other side. Do you think it's going to be all right if we let Katie play with Ellen? And I know that now. I didn't know what that was then. So there are culture, cultural mores of wherever it is you live, however it is you've been brought up, and the people around you. Same goes in your job. And the cultural mores in your job. So we don't do things like that here. Or we don't do. We never do that. Oh, no, no, we're never, I'm not going to change that way. I gather that still goes on. I'm not employed in a big company anymore. Been in corporate, been in all that stuff. But now I'm just me. So I don't have any of that. Except, of course, I do. Because if I need to deal with the plumber, if I need to deal with the, the man who mends my laptop, if it goes wrong or updates it or does anything like that, if I have to deal with the software providers, if I have to deal with the internet provider, there's various little cultural mores that you can notice. Most people don't. I do, of course, because of my training, because of my job. So all of this stuff. Oh, and add in, you know, where you were born, where you now live, the culture of the country that you live in, wherever it is. And if it was different to the one you were born in, and how many countries have you lived in and the different cultures and experienced them? I think that's a good idea. I've done a bit of that myself. So there are all these things where you're actually changing what maybe your heart is saying to fit in. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I am saying it's a difficult thing. And it's something to be aware of. There are times when fitting in is fine. I go to face-to-face -face social networking meetings. I don't like everybody in the meeting. I can't say I totally dislike anybody in the meeting, but there are some that you say, oh, great, it's so-and-so. And they say, oh, she's here again. Okay. And there's some that you just say, yeah, okay, whatever. And we all have that. And there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to like everybody. But 
you tend to not upset people when you're in that kind of a situation unless there's a real big reason for it. At least I do. And I try to be aware when I'm going to upset somebody, when I might upset somebody, and how not to if I don't want to. At the social network meetings, not everybody is that aware. Some people have literally trampled all over my views because of theirs, because theirs don't fit. And they are that non-empathetic, they are not aware to my mind in that sense. So they just sort of steamroller through. And I'm there going, right, okay. That was like banging your head on a wall. Fine. Bet you felt that too. So what I'm thinking about is really, really, really being aware. Being aware that these things happen. Being aware that these things are there. If you're not, then your ability to relate to other people is not going to be too strong. Not nearly as strong as it would be if you were aware of all these things that were going on around you. And this is, again, where the witchy stuff really does come in, because through that, you learn so much empathy, and you learn how to feel into people. We talk about read the room when you go in to speak, or you go into a meeting, or you're meeting some new clients, or whatever it is. But there's, oh, so many ways to up your game in reading the room and the witchy ways show you those and of course i've learned them and the ways that i can offer you that come from the psychotherapy added to the witchy ways and they're often similar they just sort of heighten it it's like one plus one is not two when you put the witchy stuff and the psychotherapy together one plus one is eleven that makes sense? <laughs> but that's how it is. So there is so much of that that you can learn. Again, in reading the room, you can feel and you can sense and know what the atmosphere of that room is. How is this? Is everybody a bit flagging today? Is some people really cross? Um, some people in dire straits or whatever. How is whatever you're going to do in that meeting, that room, that party, that wherever it is, how is that going to work in this room? So you're actually talking about connecting with people, not in a big way, not in a sort of, oh, darling, and hug me. Um, but you're connecting with people, just feeling into where they are. It's a bit like I think of it as a spider. Because the spider built her web and, you know, she built her web to catch dinner. Flies, because she eats flies. Fine. <laughs> so she built this web and she sits there, often at the middle. I'll just stop it. But so she sits there at the middle and all of these threads are coming back to her. And they're not just coming back that way. They're also around this. So a ping here is going to react in several places on her web. So she's really going to know 
what's going on, how big that fly is. But I wouldn't be surprised if a spider knew sort of what sort of fly it was or whether it was a bee or a butterfly or whatever had flown into her web just by the pings that she got from her threads. That's like, wow, I'd love to be able to do that. And yes, we can. That's another part of what the witchy ways offer you. You can learn, and I teach you know, at least half a dozen people this every year, very directly as magic, quite apart from my clients. And I teach them how to know those threads, because they're there. Whether you can see them, you know, whether you think it's all bullshit or whatever, sorry, they're there, whatever you actually think about them. And you can actually learn to use them. You can actually learn to be that spider, sensing and feeling all these threads that are around you. So you can tell what the room is going to feel like. You can tell when somebody is actually really trying to push you to do something or stop you doing something or wants you to move aside so that they've got front stage at the moment or doesn't like you or wants to put you down or really loves you and is absolutely gagging for whatever it is you're offering. Need more of those, don't we all? <laughs> but And you can also learn from that how you attract them because these threads that you're putting out, this is part of how your brand works, how your client attraction works. And you can tell by that little comment, by that little like, by this thing that happens here and what so-and-so says after so-and-so said something. Yeah, you can learn to do that with just your head after a fashion. But everybody I know who does it really well has the magic to some extent. And I'm working with a couple of people now and watching their magic increase as they get the hang of these threads. And they're just starting to, and it's a bit like, I was sort of thinking of it like, like many people when they're starting to drive and, you know, you, you've got to take off without stalling. <laughs> and you get what my dad used to call kangaroo foot on the accelerator or the clutch. And oh, God, stop. <laughs> and the same sort of thing happens at first with you when you're working with the threads, when you're working with the magic, learning it. Sometimes you really get it right. And then every now and again, it goes, oh, clunk, got that wrong. <laughs> but just like driving, just like riding the bike, just like going swimming, all of these things that most of us have done, you can learn to do it. And you just get practiced so that it's as easy. I mean, those of you who drive a car, you get in the car and you really think, now I must put my left foot on the clutch as I move this lever forward. And then I take it off gently as I'm just pressing down with the accelerator. Not anymore, you're not. You're just, and you're off. It's all deep in your bones, deep in your autopilot, if you like. The old ways call it deep in your bones because it's there in here and you know it. You don't need to think it. You haven't got to have a recipe for doing it. You just do it and you know how. 
And those threads, they show you and help you to know when you're living someone else's script unconsciously. Like I said at the beginning, there are times when it's fine. You say, yeah, come on, show me how to do this. Let's do this. Let's do it. Take me on an adventure. Let's do this together. And there are times when you're doing it for pressure reasons, like to be admitted to a group, like to follow the forms that you keep your job, like to get promotion, like so many things. Like to keep in with his teacher so you can you'll pass your exam okay. Does that tell you anything about what this is about a bit? You do something to please somebody else. And yeah, we all hear, you know, every coach and his dog, <laughs> cat in my case, says people pleasing. Yes, we don't want to do people pleasing. Of course, we do sometimes. Actually, doing people pleasing is a good idea sometimes. It's too good for us. It may be good for them. It may be good for both of us. So it's like, be careful what you decide to throw out. But if you're people pleasing unconsciously, and when you'd really rather not, then you are living someone else's script. And that's not going to be comfortable for you. It's not going to help your life, your personal life, your relationships, your family, and it's not going to help your business any either. So get used to that idea because you need to be conscious when you need to do it. When you're talking with somebody and they say, you know, you're talking with a a supplier or a client or something, and they say, I really hate cats, you know, horrible stinking beasts. It, well, you imagine what goes on inside me. <laughs> I may not say that. I may not show any of the, I'll punch you on the nose if you say another nasty thing about my cat. I won't go into any of that, even if inside it's... <laughs> And I won't do it because it's not going to do any particular good. I'm not going to change them. And I may want what they're offering me. If they're a supplier of something or they're really good at mending laptops or something that I want. What does it matter whether they like cats? That's not why we're together. So it's like sorting. But I don't have to go into it and say, oh, yeah, cats are horrible either. I hate them too. Wouldn't dream of doing that. I just, oh, really? You know, and leave it at that. And hopefully the person would sort of get that possibly that wasn't a topic of conversation to continue with. <laughs> then they might well do that. But I wouldn't people please as I did when I was a child at school to try and get into this girl's gang. I did that for a little while. Me and my friend did. And eventually we decided that this was less, it was too misery making to be quite honest. So we just didn't do it anymore. And I got to see that there were other things besides being a part of this girl's gang, that it didn't actually really matter 
if she told me that I was a useless lump at hockey or something, I was because I hated hockey. Um, but this sort of thing, you know, she used to whiz around this place, you know, you know, Pokemon or something, going <laughs> around with hockey stick. Um, but it didn't matter. I didn't need to be like that. I didn't need to be like her. I didn't need to be liked by her even. That's a huge lesson. Not everybody needs to like you. And you don't need to like everybody else. So again, that's very much part of the old ways, the old witchy ways. You don't have to like everybody. You can, I don't know, is it accept, tolerate? I'm not sure. You don't have to go around hurting, being nasty to people that you don't like. You can just, they're not there. They're there, but they're not there. They're not in your life. And that's a big one, because actually that's about boundaries. It's like, what do you let in and what do you keep out in your life? And there are some people, we all have this, who we don't like and we don't actually want in our lives. And they may be a bit of a nuisance and try and get in all the time. So part of having good boundaries is this repel thing that we all know about, the opposite of the, the attract. The repel thing. How do you repel? I mean, you can repel by being thoroughly rude and nasty. Um, I'm not saying that that's always wrong. It may sometimes be right. Uh, I'm saying do try and think of other ways first before we actually get there. But there are other ways to repel than to be nasty to people. There are verbal ways, and one of the ways that I use, um, say somebody wants to be my client and I know that it's just not going to work, I will say, I really don't think I'm for you. And I will often say, but you might like to try, you know, Fred or Jane or Sarah or whoever. But I try to do that, do things before we get that far. Don't always succeed. But that is another thing that you can do with the old ways. You can actually have like a repelling order. Oh, doing it again. A repelling aura. Um, everybody's got their own sort of idea of aura, you know, sort of this bubble that you're in, which you are, and which you can learn to use as a filter. So it will be there sort of saying, don't want any clients, say, who don't like cats. <laughs> it's a bit arbitrary, and I don't do that. But say that, say that was a filter. And you can put that filter out there. And I'm, again, easy, not too difficult to learn how to put your filters up. And then those sort of people don't even come to you. Because they sense something beforehand and they go away. So again, you're not having to live with them. You're not having to work with them. Because 
I don't know how many of you realize this, but clients will try sometimes, and I suspect most of us have this, to rewrite your script so that you are living the script that they want you to be to them. This is usually, I would say, 99.99999% of the time, a waste of time for them to try it because they've come to you because something was wrong and they want something for it. This may just be that they want to be stroked, they want to be told that it's not wrong really, that everything's all right. Most of us coaches are not in the business of doing that at all. So you better off if you can stop them getting to you in the first place, because you're not going to be able to give them what they want. And you really should never, ever be trying to rewrite your own script of how you work to suit someone else. The other thing that they will ask for you is, well, why are you doing that? I don't think that's right. Do you need to justify what you do to them? It's really worth thinking about. Quite often, the best thing is to say, this is how I do it. You know, if you don't like it, we really don't have to work together. It's fine. You don't need to justify. You don't need to prove anything to them. Your proof is your being. It's what you are, what you do. That's what you show. That it works because it's working for you. And your clients, your testimonials, works for them. So you don't need to justify what you do. You can explain it, but that's not justifying. And the other thing that a lot of people do is, oh, I'm so sorry, Sensor, such and such happened. Well, I started this whole show with an apology. I feel it was necessary to you because, you know, I had made you all wait for so long. <laughs> uh, because it was hard for me to get it together. I think I've got it together now, so I don't think this is going to happen next Friday. Now, that to me was like a genuine need to apologize. Sorry, I'm so late. This is what happened. So I apologized. And in a sense, I justified. I, at least I explained. But somebody sort of says, uh, I can't think of something now. Somebody says something to you and you sort of say, well, actually, it, it isn't. They go, oh, I'm so sorry. As though they feel they were supposed to know something that they didn't know about you that maybe you'd only just started to talk about. Instead of being able to say, oh, really? Can you tell me more about that? Because I wasn't thinking like that at all. Do tell me more. Which is not an apology. And it's much more welcoming and opening. If somebody apologizes to you and you don't really feel that there's been any need for them to apologize to you, you promptly start getting into, it's quite all right. It doesn't matter at all. It's fine. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, how many minutes can go on like that? When you're both sort of buttering each other up, patting each other down, giving each other a sweetie? Really? No, 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 no. Apologize when you need to. There's no need to apologize if you 
just sort of said today is Saturday and it's actually Friday. Actually, I don't know. It's Friday. Oh, right. Okay. It's Friday. Now, what were we saying? And why do you have to apologize? Always think about that. Why are you apologizing? Is there a real reason? You know, did you just tread on the cat's tail? Did you just barge the other person? Did you bang your supermarket trolley into them by accident? Fine. Oops, sorry. Are you okay? You know. And or did you just say something that they didn't understand and they then apologize for not understanding? We all say things other people don't understand. We all don't understand things that people say to us. It's just, I didn't understand. I didn't get that. Tell me more. So there are all these kind of boundaries that we have. And again, the witchy ways and those threads from the spider, they all tell you about when you need to do something and when you don't. When something is appropriate, when something is not appropriate. So we need to be aware of when we live other people's scripts. Are we doing this consciously? Do we enjoy doing it? Has it got a purpose that we appreciate and want to continue with? Or is it something that we are not actually very keen on, that we actually don't want to do, that we would really prefer not to do? Because part of the stress that most people live under and business people, especially solopreneurs and some entrepreneurs too, feel is when you're doing something that you didn't really want to do and that you're not altogether convinced has a good reason behind it for you to do it at all. I think that's really important. It's something, one of the fundamentals that I take clients through, and it doesn't matter what they're doing, whether they're, you know, CEO of a business, running their own business, just started their own little business, it doesn't matter. This is about standing firm and standing firm to being you. And again, there are no wizards and no witches who are successful and really working well who are anybody's clone version. They are all themselves. Maybe this is what you think of in branding. And it is in a sense, but this is deep, deep inside this is who is Alan and who is she not? And I am not me when I am unconsciously living other people's scripts or doing it because I'm afraid not to. I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't get into this girl's gang at school. I will be lonely. I will be miserable. People will shout at me. People will call me bad names. I might get into trouble with the teachers because girls can be pretty evil about setting you up 
from four. So don't think women are all sweetness and light. We're not. <laughs> not any more than anybody else is. And there are always people who want to laugh because you fell over. There are always people who laugh viciously because you skidded on the banana skin and landed on your backside. Frankly, I don't like people like that. And I don't want to be part of them. And I don't want to have to do what they say because they somehow have power over me. That's the other side of it. Are you giving away your power when you live someone else's script that you really don't want to do? Well worth thinking about. These are all things that I do with clients and that I'm gradually going to be doing little bits of little webinars on and helping you see what I do and see whether it might be useful to you. Probably would, but that's completely up to you. But the thing is, we all need to be ourselves. We all need to be authentic. I know, much overused word, but that doesn't mean to say it isn't true. Doesn't mean to say it isn't really worthwhile. It is. So ponder to yourself. Whose scripts that are not mine am I unconsciously living? Do I actually want to do this? How hard is it for me to stand up and be fully me? I can tell you, your business, your life, your relationships, your family, everything will go so much better when you are being you. Really well. So take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Oh, hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Hope it pulled out some new ideas and new ways of looking at life, the universe and everything. And I'd love to know your comments, so do send them to me. Doing and being badassery is fun. It makes your heart sing. And that helps everyone. And it helps you put the soul back in your life and in your business. Business, when it's really working, is fun full of badass reality and makes your heart sing. So let's stick all those rubbish old work ideas of toil and drudgery in the compost caddy. Let's recycle them into something fun and useful. That's what badassery is about, having fun and being useful. If you'd like more, get on my website, www.ellensentier.com, sign up for my newsletters and check out my lives and vlogs. Let's get to know each other. Let's get together, have fun, grow your life, and make your heart sing. Let's be real. Come on, let's light our fires.